one of the things that um, I do, uh, which is important to me, um, is I often think about the aftercare of the actor, especially mm. black actors or indigenous actors. We're asking them to portray things that are real. To other people, this is new information, but to them, it's very real. And so I'm always very cognizant of the fact that I could be re-traumatizing somebody or bringing something to their attention in a way that they hadn't considered before. And now they leave me and they go home with that. Mm. And so I like to um, um, stay in touch with them and talk to them, uh, you know, even right afterwards, you know, talk to them about, you know, how that felt and, you know, whatever, and then call them back, you know, in right. a week or so and just say, you know, yeah, how you doing? You know, and, and uh, because we have a tendency to just think that people come in and do a job and they leave and they got paid and, you know, but, but these things, we tell these stories because they're important mm -hmm. and because they're bigger than that. So we have a responsibility to make sure that people are okay afterwards. Juanita Peters is a multidisciplinary artist whose debut feature film 837 Rebirth is up for four Screen Nova Scotia Awards this weekend. The director, actor, writer, and executive director of the Africville Museum is my guest this week to talk about the film's journey, being named Actress Woman of the Year, directing Vanessa Antoine in Digstown, and what's on the horizon. I'm Tara Thorne, and this is The Tideline. Welcome to the show. Last weekend was a before times classic Halifax fuck up of a hundred things happening at once. There was the Stages Festival. There was the Start Festival. There was the Every Seeker Festival. And there was the festival I work for, the Halifax Independent Filmmakers Festival. How many festivals do you think are happening in the city this weekend? That's right, zero. Come on, arts folks. Let's talk to each other and spread the fun around next year. There is... However, a festival down in the valley in Newport Landing, it is called Full Circle, and it runs from June 17th to 19th. And some of the guests include Jenny Burkle, Rainey Smith, Aquaculture, Matt Steele, New Hermitage, and Tideline fave Norman MacDonald. Get tickets and directions at fullcirclefestival.ca. Quick shout out to the Speedway Drive-In opening this weekend in my neck of the woods, out home, as we'd say, at Scotia Speed World by the airport. They're showing the new Top Gun, which everyone is, but also on deck is the wonderful Lost City, starring the consummate movie star Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum in an old-timey adventure romance. They stopped taking online ticket reservations. Just go to Facebook and figure it out. So, as mentioned, Matt Steele will be appearing at the Full Circle Festival this weekend. A couple weeks back, Matt's band Corvette Sunset dropped a brand new single, and here it is. This is called Cloud Nine.
Anita. Hi, Tara. Um, we're here to talk about a bunch of artistic things, but I want to start back because this doesn't happen very often. You are a former journalist, recovering journalist, as I like to call myself. <laughs> you never recover. No, you, you don't. It's like, it's an addiction, isn't it? <laughs> it's... Tell me about your journalism background. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's, it's, uh, you know, everything in my life is happenstance. It's, 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 um, you know, things that have happened, uh, not intentionally. And, um, so I'm a storyteller. I've always been a storyteller. I, uh, started telling stories in what my mother would call skit form, writing skits when I was a kid. And, and, um, we weren't allowed to play sports, so I had to find something to do. So, um, I'd involve all the neighborhood kids and all my cousins and all my family <laughs> who eventually decided they weren't doing this anymore because they were tired. Um, but that's where it starts. It starts with, um, listening to people, seeing what's going on, you know, around you, and then uh, putting that back out in a different way. So I always chose to put it out in a comic way, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, a way that made people sort of reassess what they were saying, what were the things that we were, we, we'd say this all the time, we say all kinds of things, and we don't know where they come from, right? So I would make all kinds of parodies, you know, uh, based on those things. Um, and um, I entered... Um, uh, only because uh, a wonderful woman by the name of Cherry Paris, who worked for uh, the Human Rights Commission in Digby, Nova Scotia, um, who was instrumental in taking my brother and I and various cousins to a lot of different events outside of the community. Mm -hmm. And um, she had uh, suggested that I enter the radio and television broadcasting course at Kenfield. Uh, uh, um, at that time, it was Kenfield Vocational School. And I didn't even know this was an option. I didn't even know it existed. So I applied, I got in, I was working full time. I started in September, was working full time for AVR by November. Wow. So it was pretty, pretty baptism by fire <laughs> is the way I, I uh, call it and everything I've done. And, and it's kind of just sort of evolved from there. You know, just uh, you find out that you love other pieces of that, right? I loved it when in those days, the 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 um, crew would be making jingles inside the studio. And I loved that. I loved watching that process. And, and, uh, you know, the commercial making, you know, uh, I love that too. And so I would often, which you could do when you weren't in a union, you could often voice some of those commercials or be characters or just love it. Yeah. I guess that that makes sense that you learn sort of on the ground all of the parts the whole, the whole machine now that and now you're a director that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um how how what was your experience like at the CBC? I love my CBC family. <laughs> and a lot of them I knew uh prior to going to CBC because um in in as you know Tara in this industry you sort of meet people in in different arenas. And um and so you know a number of people I'd worked with uh for years either as colleagues or 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 they would call it competitors. We never really looked at ourselves as competitors, but um, covering the same story and, you know, what did you get out of it? This is what I got out of it. So when I left um, CBC in 95 or 96 um, as a reporter, I came to Halifax because I just wanted to write. Mm -hmm. I just went, and nobody was buying my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm sitting there looking at that banana on the table and going, should I eat that banana or will I need that tomorrow? Because I don't know if another paycheck's coming through soon. Um, so um, the switch from uh, having that full-time job um, and going out on your own was very, it wasn't scary to me until... 
I was taught to be scared because, right. you know, you thought you had all these tools, you've done all these things and you're going to walk out there and now I'm going to do it in a different way. But people didn't perceive you hmm. in that way. They looked at uh, doing a documentary as being very different from doing a news piece. But I looked at it as the same. You know, it's just a longer form story. Uh, so it actually took me a decade. Wow. A decade to... Uh, of freelance. Yeah. I know from experience. It's not fun. No, it wasn't. And there's never been like, a, there's never been a, a banner freelance time in this in this town. It's not like, oh, the heyday, the freelance heydays of like, whenever, 2000, 1998, 2012, doesn't exist. Not real. <laughs> no. And uh, you kind of have to um, um, sort of reincarnate yourself, you know, which I've done many, many times. Um, and so, yeah, when I moved into um, film uh, production, it was doing all those jobs. Mm. I, I knew that eventually I wanted to be the lead on something, but I also knew that I didn't know what all those other people did. Even all the years I worked in, in radio and TV, if you asked me what the engineers did or what, you know, the people in the back, I couldn't tell you because I went in and did my job. Mm -hmm. But I knew if you, if you were ever going to be a boss, you should know when I asked that person to add something to this, am I asking them something that's going to take them an hour or two days, mm -hmm. right? Um, so uh, so I, I did all those jobs. I, I did everything from catering to coordinating to um, third AD, which is just the runner from trailer to the actors. To, you know, you just... <laughs> I still don't know what all the ADs do because we could only afford two. <laughs> we didn't even have a third. We didn't have trailers. There's even a fourth now, uh, which, uh, yeah, new classification. So, uh, yeah, but uh, all all valuable. And you know what? You actually appreciate uh, when uh, that product comes out more. You appreciate uh, the highlights of career more when you have, you know, if I had started there, I probably just thought it was a given, mm. right? So. Mm -hmm. Um, and and you've been an actor for a long time. I mean, it's sort of a natural progression if you're on TV to go to acting, but they're not the same thing. They're really not. How 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 was your? How did you get into acting? And 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 is it is it your favorite thing? Out of all the things you do, what is your favorite of thing? Of all the things I do, believe it or not, my favorite thing is writing. Right, researching and writing. Mm -hmm. I love discovering the story. Uh, and then I love the idea that I can mold that story into something. Uh, and I, depending on what it is, it may be just that story has inspired me to write mm -hmm. something else, right? Um, and so I may not, I may hear about a guy by the name of, of Granville Sharp who, who um, met uh, Thomas Peters and encouraged the blacks to come to Sierra Leone. But the story I tell is just inspired by that and something else evolves out of it, right? And mm -hmm. I just love that, 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 the possibilities, the possibilities. And then when you get, I used to say, if you had asked me uh, 10 years ago, I would have said, I really don't like directing, mm -hmm. you know, because um, directing, you know, things happen that you can't really control. And then you have to sort of, especially in documentary, you have to sit back now and um, say, okay, where are we going? You have to readjust so much. But once I got into directing drama, <laughs> oh my 
gosh, I love it so much because there's a script, there's an intent, it's all there. And um, yeah, you get to see how to bring that to life, right? And everybody, you have all these people looking at the same script, so they know exactly what's intended. And then you tell them, you know, you're, I, I love it. I love it, love it, love it. And I never thought I would say that. Uh, 10 years ago. Right. I also think actors make really good directors. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so one of the things that makes actors good directors is the language. Mm -hmm. You know, understanding. um, It's not enough to say, "Eh, could you get a little, uh, could you you give that to me a little more forcefully? You know, instead of saying, okay, you know, um, your mother just said you're not going to do that and your life depends on it. Right. So that's the difference mm-hmm. in in uh, helping people um, arrive at an intent or an emotion. Right. So I love it. I love it. Have you have you had uh, experiences as a director with difficult actors and, of and been able to talk, talk them down in a way that maybe I wouldn't be able to? Yeah. So, you know, some of the times and and. Uh, uh, people come to the table with all kinds of different things. And I've often said, I would much rather work with a less experienced actor who doesn't need a lot of taking care of mm-hmm. <laughs> than someone who needs a lot of taken care of because it takes away from my time yeah. with the other people. Um, that being said, there will always be people who just are that character that you want and that you need. And so you prepare yourself, you know, knowing, you know, this is what that person's going to need. Mm-hmm. And and also, you know, having the understanding that, you know, actors are people, they are individuals. And the reason why they're able to go there in that moment in time, in that difficult situation, is because they understand it. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be... Uh, to recognize that and uh, and support them. You know, one of the things that um, I do, uh, which is important to me, um, is I often think about the aftercare of the actor, especially mm. Black actors or Indigenous actors. We're asking them to portray things that are real. To other people, this is new information. But to them, it's very real. And so I'm always very cognizant of the fact that I could be re-traumatizing somebody or bringing something to their attention in a way that they hadn't considered before. And now they leave me and they go home with that. Mm. And so I like to um, um, stay in touch with them and talk to them, uh, you know, even right afterwards, you know, talk to them about, you know, how that felt and, you know, whatever, and then call them back, you know, in a right. week or so and just say, you know, yeah, how you doing? You know, and, and uh, because we have a tendency to just think that people come in and do a job and they leave and they got paid and, you know, but, but these things, we tell these stories because they're important mm-hmm. and because they're bigger than that. So we have a responsibility to make sure that people are okay afterwards. Yeah, which is like a new idea, isn't it? Imagine that. It's, you know, uh, one of the first things I asked for on our film was an intimacy coordinator. And so I, it's like a, it's a, a topic that's really important to me. And, and I am shocked that when you fill out a, a p- production application for ACTRA, if, there, if you have a stunt, stunt coordinator, stunt coordinator, mandated, intimacy, no, get them to sign a nudity writer if they must. It's like, come on. 
I would argue that the intimacy side, the emotional damage is way worse than like a broken finger. I'm not saying anyone should be getting hurt at all, <laughs> but like it's 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 bizarre to me that that it's a new concept that even ICs are like a new concept in the past five years. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the people who suffered the most were always women. Of course. So who cares? Right. Like the guys running the show, they don't care about that. That's right. Yeah. The 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 uh, great thing today is a lot of us are the bosses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always said, uh, I remember years ago when um, I divorced and and uh, I paid taxes on, on my child support. And my, my husband at the time got a tax relief for feeding his children. And I remember, you know, saying, that's why we need more women mm-hmm. on the bench. We need more <laughs> right. women in the court system. We need more women creating policy. Um, because these things would happen. And it's, it's no longer that way, I understand. But, um, but this is the way it was. Like, women were constantly penalized and constantly asked to do more for less, right? Um, we won't get into all that, but... Um, I'm happy to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you That's want. A, a very big portfolio. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, there's so much, you know, that... And, and, and as women, we were just trying so hard to just do what we had to do to get, you know... Um, uh, take care of our children, you know, have a home, uh, pay those bills, and 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 have a career. Imagine having a career, right? Um, and so the the penalties that you paid along the way while you watched your, um, I will say, less talented, less informed uh, male car- counterparts escalate, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so that was always very painful. But you know, what were you going to do? Well. Women are doing it today. You know, I love it when I walk in uh, to uh, Dalhousie University or York or uh, anywhere and I look in the science fields and I I see and the engineering fields and I see just as many women math Mm -hmm. fields, you know, Mm -hmm. as as men, which was not the case when when I started, you know, there would have been a smattering of maybe two or three, you know, in a room of of 70 or 100. Right. Yeah. But today it's equal or more. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what it takes. Yeah, and I also there's this dumb argument that keeps going around about why why is there no sex in American movies? And there's like all these theories. And then, but my my theory is that it's because actors now have agency to say no, I'm not doing that. Not needed. Not necessary. You know, I, I you know, um it's it's okay to say that director what does it tell the audience when I take my top off? Mhm. Right? What why is that needed? How does that inform them about anything? What is that? It's really not about the story. Is it normal? Is it necessary? If I go in and I, I start unbuttoning and then I close, you know that I took my change mm-hmm. into my pajamas. Why mm-hmm. does why does the audience have to see that? Yeah. Like, you know, what's that really about? So you're right. You know, um, agents, agencies, new policies and rules. Um, we get to say no. You yeah, know, I and, love that. Uh, and you won't get fired. Right. Right. You know? Um, yeah. So. Cool. Well, let's talk about your, your feature, 837 Rebirth, which I saw at Finn last fall. Um, so this is a very dark, sensitive movie, to your to your points, <laughs> of, yeah. of uh, uh, you know, dealing with actors. Could you set it up for us, and then we'll, we'll get into the making of it? Yeah. Um, so 837 Rebirth was originally the 
spark of this idea um, was uh, came from Hank White, uh, who is the original writer and uh, one of the producers. And um, in Hank's uh, childhood, there was a situation where a storekeeper um, in Halifax was shot and murdered by um, some young kids. And so that becomes just the, the nugget of the idea. The storekeeper, he gets shot by, and then um, he writes a script, uh, he and uh, Joe LeClaire, uh, and it's just got these really compelling pieces around um, people making split decisions uh, based on what little bit of information they have at the time and how those decisions um, haunt them mm-hmm. for the rest of their life. Uh, and so we see um, a young um, professor um, who should by all means be, again, rising in society and in his life, uh, but he's plagued by um, the um, what he was not able to solve or resolve and which uh, wound up uh, in the death of his father, uh, and now the person who shot his father has just gotten out of prison. Mm-hmm. So the story begins there. Mm-hmm. How did this come to you, and why did you make it your directorial debut? Oh, I, Feature it, debut, bec- I should say. Because, you know what, Hank White and Joe LeClaire asked me, and I was so happy because I've known Hank and Joe for over 25 years, and, uh, uh, I've, I've, you know, with Joe LeClaire, a lot of his writing, it's just... It's so personal, um, emotional. It's very connect. It's human nature. His stuff has a lot of human nature stuff in it, which I really, really liked. Um, and there was so much to learn from this particular script. Uh, you think it's going in a dress. Mm-hmm. So I remember when uh, the final, so the, they, I worked on it for about five years. And then uh, when I took over, you know, as the director and uh, we, you know, went through the script, we cut out about, I think, probably 25 characters were cut out wow. of the script. Um, and then uh, it was molded a little, just a little differently. And, uh, and the outcome becomes very, very different. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I hope they don't hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And they didn't. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, of course, you know, uh, then you start to shoot it. And it's, you know, can I really get, you know, all those things that I see in my head? Can Mm -hmm. I really? Wonderful actors, number one. You know, the. Some of them are nominated this weekend. Yeah. How exciting, right? And, uh, and, um, you know, they they gave it all, mm-hmm. as you can see, you know, yeah. in the film. They gave everything they had and um, and then some. And it is tough content because it's it's a bit of a roller coaster ride uh, for the two uh, main uh, characters, Sergei and uh, and um, Jared, uh, played by um, Pasha Imbraham and Glenn Gould. Mm-hmm. Um there's, um, you know, a lot of considerations because we also shot this during COVID, and there are two. I was children. wondering. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I was. I was like, what? When did this happen? Yeah. Well, originally we were about to go to camera within um, 24 hours, 
um, when we said no, we stopped the wow. 24 hours. Yeah. And um, what I heard, so we, we held a meeting and um, we talked to all the keys and, and what I could hear people saying is, you know, don't worry, Juanita, you know, we've got this, we've got, you know, we're going to have sanitizing stations, we're going to have this, we're going to have that. And uh, what I really heard was that people were nervous, you know, and uh, I was like, I've always wanted to do this, but not like this. Yeah. Not was like it this. early in the pandemic? The province shut everything down two days later. Oh, wow. So it wouldn't have mattered. Right. You, you would have wasted two days. I would have wasted two days yeah. that we could never have matched. Yeah, totally. Right. So, uh, which I didn't know at the time. But, um, um, and then, so that was March. And then we did go to camera, I think it was late November, November, December, and uh, and actually finished it. Um, we had a fabulous COVID team. We just had a fabulous team all around. And I have to say... Um, you know, that first day for me, I was full of nerves, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, mm -hmm. making sure, you know, everybody was, you know, feeling comfortable and everybody was really good. And, and uh, you know, all the teams were, you know, I, I just feel always blessed. I just always feel so very blessed, Tara, because somehow, um, you know, I call, you know, my two or three favorite people in and, you know, Jeff Wheaton being number one. Ah. You know, Jeff. Um, Cinematographer, I, great. Oh, my gosh. Like I started great talking shooter. to Jeff Wheaton. Um, you know, months before we were, you know, uh, 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 going to camera. And I think I started talking to Jeff before I had finished the final script. Oh, wow. You knew and it was him. I knew it was Jeff. I knew that Jeff had the ability to bring the tones out that we were looking for, the, um, you know, help me find those dark uh, places that I needed to find, you know, bring it back out. You know, I knew that he could help me um, do cinematically the energies that we were looking for. He's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And he's just ama an amazing guy. And so for me, um, I also look at how people treat people. You know, mm -hmm. how are you treating, you know, the people who are working around you mm -hmm. and under you? And that's very important. Uh, and uh, I've always admired Jeff, you know, for uh, the people that he brings around him as well mm -hmm. and, uh, and how he treats them. And, you know, that's when you do your best work. When everybody is feeling like I can... I can try this, you know, and see, you know, you want people to uh, feel freedom. It's it's creative. You want them to feel that kind of freedom to to try things and uh, um, yeah, and work together. So, and uh, and uh, what? How long was your shoot? Some people don't want to say the budget. I'm happy to say it because mine was a talent to watch, so it's public information. Um, <laughs> you could say it was you know, low. I no, no. I'm thinking it was very low. It yeah. was very low. But I, and I'm thinking if you had asked me this seven months ago, I could have told you. <laughs> I just really can't remember. And I under really, a million? really can't. It was under a million. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh, um. Yeah. You know. Um. Sometimes people think I just don't want to tell them things, and I'm like. I actually don't remember. <laughs> but I know some producers are like, I can't say because we don't want people to know how much we can do on this little amount of money. Yeah, <laughs> They no. won't say it publicly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not that. It's, um, you know, since then there have been so many things. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> and you've, you've taken this movie around to, to like little Nova Scotia theaters. How, how has that gone? So fun. Yeah. So fun. We've actually, we were in PEI. Uh, we were uh, at Dartmouth, uh, Alderney Landing. We were at King's Theater in Annapolis. The conversations that come out of it in Nova Scotia in particular, uh, because of the Indigenous story that's being told, mm-hmm. um, is just remarkable. Like, I love hearing other people's take on it. And I let my... My minister uh, recently uh, came to, um, so my church is in Weymouth, uh, Nova Scotia, that's where my mom is, and uh, my minister, uh, Reverend John, you know, said, uh, me and my partner were having this discussion about the ending or whatever. I said, you're not going to ask me to settle a bet, are you? Because I, <laughs> I can't do that. But I get a lot of that. Like, you know, we were thinking it was like this. Like, it is a like, it is a cliffhanger ending. I love, I love that. It. Yeah. And so, I, is that was that when you when you that when was you, part of the rewrite? Yeah. And yeah, and um, and uh, because we, you know, life is difficult, and um, you know, I think the audience will. Um, start out championing this one and then they move and they champion that one and then they go back and, you know, uh, and life is like that because it's not clearly black and white. Not all things are clearly black and white. Yeah. They're really not. And um, and so, yeah, I think that, um, I won't say any more about that because, <laughs> um, yeah, but just to know that life is complicated, people are complicated, we all come to wherever we are in this world with a, a kettle of stuff yeah. uh, that you may or may not know about uh, that shapes us or informs us in different ways. And, and all these characters, because you, you later learn that there's more to the story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, than you knew. Um, and that there, you know, there were all kinds of opportunities for this to turn out differently. Yeah. And it also speaks to, I think, a a trend, a societal trend. I don't know, maybe this is me being naive, but I feel like the way that we look at criminals and the justice system and all, all the, all the, the way we, the ways we punish people, we're looking at it differently now. It's not just like you, you did this, therefore you are. That's right. Gone forever. And Nova Scotia, you know, is becoming, you know, one of those very progressive provinces um, who have, uh, learned and are actually actioning different ways of responding to people who have committed different types of crime. You know, so uh, a mother who um, has stolen milk from a store um, or has even had some sort of outburst that caused a um, um, some sort of catastrophe will be dealt with very differently, you know, and will not go through the normal court system. Um, But there is now a court that deals with those type of situations because they are different. The Mm -hmm. needs are different. The the things that precipitated that that action are very different. uh, And we need to treat it that way. You Mm -hmm. know, does that person go to jail? And what, for what reason? What, you know, they're not learning, you know, anything because they didn't need to learn anything. All they needed was reports. Yeah. Um, Corey Bowles tweeted, posted something. When you directed your episode of Digstown, was this last year? Yes. That you were the first black woman to direct a network hour yes. in this country? I think it or was, was it on, Atlantic Canada. Or was Canada. it on CBC? It was like, it was very... I think it was Atlantic Canada. Right. I think I was the first in Atlantic, first black woman in Atlantic Canada. Uh, 
uh, yeah. And I mean, congratulations, but also, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> <That's, laughs> not a great statistic. What was that experience like? We've had Vanessa uh, Antoine on the show, lovely person. Digstown, again, I was sweating like a June bride. <laughs> you know, just, I was so nervous, you know, but oh my God. Gosh, the the machinery of that particular show, and not just the machinery of it, meaning that they have all the the tools and the whistles. Um, it's the people, the people that are on that show that are so experienced. Um, I learned so much, and um, again, the environment is set in a way that you feel like, yeah, let me try this, let me try this, and see if it will work. Um, Siliana Cardenas, uh, the cinematographer who I worked mostly with, again, you know, just a gem. Um, and, um, you know, I, 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 I walked out of there going, wow, I love this so much. How come, you know, I wish I had been younger. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had uh, been able to um, start that much younger. And I have to say, you know, the, just like walking into a school, you know, you can tell, uh, I don't know if you have children or not, Tara, but I don't, just cats, just cats. Well, (laughs) you know, if you walk into any institution, let's say, you can tell um, what the, um, the feeling is by the person leading that just by, you know, I've walked, you ever walked into a really big resort and the people look stressed or, you know, whatever. Well, that's not good, you know, and then you walk into another one and the people are all so happy, you know, that they're treated well and they feel confident. Um, you know, what Floyd Kane has created in that, um, uh, in Dickstown is more than what you see on the screen It's the environment that is created that allows people to come and do what he's asking them to do, Mm -hmm. you know, just um, create and experiment and, uh, you know, here's what I'm looking for. How are you going to get it? Right. And uh, yeah, I love it. Love it. Love it. And even within the confines of sort of the network machine, he still offers you that creative space. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You were one of the founding members of WIFT Atlantic. I am. I am. What made you want to, to spearhead that? Well, um, Jan Miller Big was fan. one of, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, you know, again, let's say, I just want to say this, you know, sometimes you know that things are not right, but you don't know what you can do about it. And I was never aware of WIFT um, until Jan Miller uh, brought it to my attention about maybe th- two or three years prior to that. Uh, and just the idea that we could have a chapter here and that that uh, would support the growth of women, you know, in the industry, just remarkable. So we used to do a lot of, you know, workshops and we'd say, okay, where are all the young women? And so we'd do partnerships with Sacred Heart School or, you know, uh, various uh, agencies uh, where young women already were. And uh, and you do workshops so that they can do uh, lighting and sound and directing and and uh, you know you if you don't give people an opportunity to to actually see it happen do it themselves or see people 
that look like them, whether it's, uh, um, you know, gender or, or color or, you know, whatever, uh, then you just don't see yourself in that space. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, and uh, it, it it started off with a bang. And of course, you know, when you have your um, uh, with defense, it doesn't mean that only women can come, mm-hmm. but it means that it's women centered, you know, so uh, uh, which is strongly needed because the majority of women um, in the industry were in the documentary side, right? You know, we didn't have very many women, you know, in drama. And, and why was that, you know, mm-hmm. so... Um, so, uh, yeah, so we've, we've seen some, uh, big leaps yeah. in that, not big enough, but they're coming, they're coming. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, 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 you have to, uh, create and support, you know, create an environment, uh, where, uh, women can actually find themselves in a, in a, in a safe way. Right. Um, so you are nominated this weekend. So whiffed at... So the Women in Film and Television Atlantic, I don't think I ever said the whole name out loud. I just called it WIFT, um, sponsors the Best Nova Scotia Director Award. So you're in a really great group of people, um, including Steph Jolin, past guest of this show for Night Blooms, yeah. Induct Lee for Baduk, Christine McLean out of New Brunswick for The yeah. New Human, and Shelley Thompson for Don Her Dad and the Tractor, also a guest on this show. Love them all. I It's hard to pick. I love them all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like... You know, I, I, Tara, I always think um, in a case like that, it's a win-win. Yeah. It doesn't matter who wins because it's a win for, for us, for, you know, um, yeah, you know, Christine McLean and I go way back, you mm-hmm. know, to the uh, 90s. We were both CBC reporters. Uh, and she's a she's an er- a WIF founder too, is she not? She's at least an early board person. She's an early board person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But- and I mean, even five years ago... You might not have been able to find five women who had directed something in one calendar year. And during a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> let's just lay that out there, right? Yeah. How fabulous is that? It's really great. Um, and I wanna I wanna flag one more thing, which is another accolade of yours. You're actress woman of the year? Crazy. Out of all the actors in the nation? I Listen, uh, when they called me, I was getting ready to uh, type because I thought they were going to ask me to write some sort of endorsement for somebody, which I do quite often. And they said, no, we're talking about you. And I said, oh, what do you need? <laughs> you know, that's uh, so what a in- incredible honor. Um, I can't say enough, like just, uh, you know, um, to... Uh, whoever was around that table and uh, you know they say Tara um, it's not the people you know that your name is often spoken in rooms that you are not in Mm. and hopefully when people bring up your name people smile and I hope that's true and I I I the minute I heard that, I tried to picture who would be in that room. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, I just feel, again, you know, I've always felt blessed. Even in hard times, I felt blessed because I felt like, um, you know, I I had a lot of things. I remember saying to my mom in the 90s, you know, if I never, ever do get to do, you know, all those other things I'd love to do. I feel very blessed that I've got to do the things that I have, mm-hmm. and I'll always remember them. And I and I capitalize on them in other ways, right? But um, 
but yeah, it's it's great to to uh, grow every year and uh, do something more adventurous and something bigger and and uh, and it's even more fabulous when other people like it. Yeah, I always say I play guitar terror not very well, but I play it for myself and occasionally a few other people might like it too. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and what's what's in the pipeline? A lot of stuff. I've got. Look, I've got uh, a piece um, that I've been trying to do, uh, get off the roster since November, and here it is June, and I really hope it's a, they're short little pieces um, that um, uh, deal with health, mm-hmm. uh, gender violence and health, and um, I've been uh, writing a new feature uh, film, so I'm in the throes of the the um treatment of that and uh and we've got a couple other little things that um have sort of been on the back burner for about uh, a decade and that's really kind of what it takes you know to to reimagine that i think that i'll probably have another play you know out mm-hmm. you know uh for 2024 right and um and i keep toying going but i don't want to direct it or do i <laughs> you know i don't know but um yeah i definitely will have the play out for 2024 and um, yeah, just uh, an Africville, you know. Uh, yes, you're the executive director of the Africville Museum. I'm the executive director of the museum, and that is so much fun, Tara. I love it, love it, love it, and and just all the possibilities of sharing that story and how we share it. I'm off to the U.S. consulate uh, right this after week, this. Right after this, <laughs> and uh, I will uh, be presenting on behalf of Africville, and we're talking about uh, Canada-U.S. relations and and how do people gather. They gather over food. We wrote a cookbook uh, in the, during the pandemic wow. called In the Africville Kitchen, and it's gone all around the world. It's a tiny, tiny little cookbook. <laughs> and uh, But for some reason, it has uh, really um, captured the, the world's imagination. And uh, so the U.S. consulate's actually cooking something out of that cookbook. And we're going to talk about, you know, food and agriculture, uh, Canada and U.S. And, and uh, you know, that's the number one thing that brings people and keeps them together, right? Amazing. Yeah. Well, you're on a roll. Hey. And best of luck at the Screen Nova Scotia Awards on Saturday, which are sold out. Sorry to the public. Uh, <laughs> but but you're up for four, and, and Jeff's up for the Cinematography Award, which is sort of a... Uh, for all of his work. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so best of luck and thanks for Thank coming by. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. is engineered by Palmer Jamison at the Golden Palm and produced by the Halifax Examiner.